Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. It's October 21st. I never say the date at the beginning of the show. However, I'm going to give a quick shout out to my mom. Happy birthday, mom. And we have a great guest for you as we close out the preseason with the Boston Celtics preview the regular season that will be coming up in just a few short days. It's going to be Tom Wester home from MassLive.com. Just going to get to a couple of programming announcements, and then we'll hear from Tom right away. Follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter, at CSL underscore Tweet Live. We also are going to be doing a ESPN Fantasy Basketball League. It's a no-money league. It's just for fun, just for the fans of the show. If you're interested in... Uh, participating. There's a bunch of empty spots. Uh, I believe there's still 15, 14 or 15 spots. We got a max of 18. So we're just getting the word out. All you have to do is follow us and then shoot us a direct message. You can do that either to, again, at CSL underscore tweet live or either one of our, of your hosts here at CSL underscore Justin. That's me, my co-host every Monday morning. And for some of these interviews is John Duke at CSL underscore Duke. I am flying solo today with Tom Westerholm, but make sure you follow the entire CLNS radio network at CLNS radio, the Facebook page, facebook.com slash CLNS fans and download the CLNS radio app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS radio in your app marketplace. And finally, I I am so impressed with this kid, Jared Weiss, who literally just wrote an article that went up on Sports Illustrated, an interview with David Stern at the Shamrock Foundation event with the Celtics the other night. Just awesome. Make sure you go and check it out. But he's also our one and own host of the Garden Report, which is on the YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash CLNS radio for those high definition, full length locker room interviews. And as I mentioned, the Garden Report with Jared Weiss. So that's enough for your programming announcements. We're going to get right into it. All right. Joining me now on Celtic Stuff Live is Tom Westerholm from MassLive.com. Tom, this is your first appearance on the show, man. Welcome aboard. Thanks, man. I'm uh, excited to be here, honored to be here. Uh, Looking forward to it. Yeah, you know, and we brought you on at a really good time because literally the preseason just ended. And we, and we'll get into that because we, we talked a little bit back and forth on Twitter the other night, but preseason just ended and we thought we were going to get through it unscathed. So we have injuries to talk about. We have some new additions, some development of some young guys, and then maybe a look ahead at the regular season, which is going to be coming up next Wednesday night to kick it all off. So the Celtics finished four and two and Kelly Olenek is not going to be back. We thought maybe by the beginning of the season, but other than that, the team looked to be healthy and we know their postseason play last year was impacted greatly by injuries, mostly or most definitely the ones to Jay Crowder and Avery Bradley. But let's talk about Marcus Smart because this was his first healthy off season um, he was healthy to start the season last year, but he definitely missed some time. Injuries and definitely ankle injuries have been sort of on the radar with him. Danny said earlier on Thursday that he expected 
Smart to, well, he had been hopeful that Smart would be back by the home opener. I think that might be a little optimistic, don't you? Yeah, I agree. And especially because you just, you just don't mess around with ankle injuries. I mean, these, these are reoccurring injuries that can, that can happen, you know, and you just, you don't want to see a guy at the start of the season when, you know, when games are just, they're a little bit less impactful and, uh, and, and there's just time for him to recover. You don't want to see him like developing something that's going to hurt him down the road. Um, so I, I agree that that's a little bit optimistic. Um, but I also think that Ainge is going to be, and, you know, and obviously the doctors and everything, they'll be smart enough to, to, to kind of keep an eye on things and make sure that they don't bring him back prematurely, especially because the Celtics do have enough people to kind of, uh, you know, to kind of tread water in his absence, I think. Well, they do. They're really deep at that position. Although what Marcus Smart brings, and everybody wants to talk about the death lineup, what Marcus Smart brings is totally unique to the table. It allows him to go small, <laughs> and yet he guards guys like we saw on Wednesday night in Chris Apps Porzingis. But I think, honestly, you talk about not messing around with ankle injuries. Look at Jay Crowder. It was his first exactly. high ankle sprain. He suffered it right after the All-Star break, and I even felt like they were rushing him back for the postseason. I mean, understandably so, but I think he thought he could play through it, and that may have actually hampered his recovery and never had him at 100% in the playoffs. So, Marcus Smart, I agree. There's enough depth here. It'll be early in the season. They actually look pretty crisp. I mean, how many teams you kind of see it? The first 20 games is they're still almost like in preseason mode in a way. We're going to see yeah. some sloppy play. If you remember back to the team that won the championship, Banner 17, that one of the reasons they started out that season so well is because they actually gelled quickly, and then they had all that enthusiasm, so they were rolling opponents that weren't quite ready for you know the battle of the middle of the season and, and the team play that's that's required to put the wins on the board. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Celtics actually kind of have a tough um, opening schedule, not really with the teams that they're playing, but just kind of with the schedule itself. I mean, they've got, you know, a back-to-back literally to start the season, which is just, I mean, it's incredible that schedule makers would, would manage to pull that off. Um, and then, you know, they've got another game uh, two days after the second after the second night of the back-to-back. And it just, you know, there's another back-to-back after that shortly thereafter that includes uh, Cleveland. I mean, it's just, there's there's a lot of things to kind of keep an eye on, you know, as far as the schedule goes, um, you know, as and as far as you know, trying to bring Smart back. Um, it, but they, you know, like you said, they they're clicking really well right now, and you're going to want to let keep that going. That chaos lineup that plays Smart at the three or at the two or however you want to, you know, however you want to define that one. I think he's mostly a small forward in that lineup. But that that lineup is going to be really deadly, you know, as the season goes on. And I think you can get away, especially with the opener you know, against the Nets, you can definitely get away with trying to win that game without smart. Um, we'll see how the Bulls look. I think they're going to be really bad. Um, so, you know, you might be able to get away with, you know, a game without smart against the Bulls, obviously, you know, the Hornets. So when you kind of look at the opening schedule, there are winnable games without smart. And, you know, especially when you look at the way the team has been clicking, like you said, I think that's going to be really crucial. I think a lot of that comes down to Al Horford, but just that early season chemistry is going to be really important. Yeah, the obvious place to take the conversation about smart is to Rozier, but I'm actually going to table that one, and I'm going to use the opportunity where you talked about the season starting out with back-to-backs, uh, with a back-to-back. I think that really is at the heart of the issue with uh, shortening the preseason, which you and I you know, debated during slash the end of the game to close out the preseason uh, on Wednesday night, but 
really, if they did shorten it, maybe they have. I think you and I finally came to a consensus in our in our Twitter debate was maybe three games. Maybe hit the Sixers, the Nets, and the Knicks. Keep it close to home. Travel minimal. Practice time up. And just get some run, get comfortable, shorten it, and then relax the schedule a little bit. Maybe you want to talk about right. that because they did have a nice preseason, but it did cost them Marcus Smart. I mean, granted, that could have been game two of the season or game three, and it could have happened anyway, but not, not you know, put that to the side. Why shorten the preseason? So I think to me, and I think this was on the uh, the low post a couple of days ago, I think it was Jeff Van Gundy who was talking about this. These guys are in incredible shape. I mean, they take a couple of weeks off after the season because their bodies just literally need that time to, you know, to, to, re- to relax, to heal up a little bit and, and just kind of just kind of like, you know, let all of that um, tension and let all of that work from the season kind of go away. Um, but the, but you know, they, they get right back to work after that. You know, you see guys in the gym in Boston you know, weeks before the, before the preseason starts, you know, months before, you know, they're always getting shots up. They're always lifting weights. They're always trying to improve something. Um, yeah, I talked to Jay Crowder in July and he said, basically, I'm not lifting very much, you know, besides like maintenance stuff in this off season, because like, I'm already as strong as I want to be, you know, I'm working on other things. And, you know, that's in July, you know, he's already in like the, the strength that he wants to be for the season in July. So I, I, I think, there's not really that much of a point of like trying to play yourself into game shape during the preseason, just because you're already in game shape. You're playing in the Drew League. You're running all the time. Um, so I, I think for these guys, get a couple of games in, like you said, you know, get some reps, get a chance to run a few pick and rolls with Isaiah Thomas and Al Horford against somebody other than your teammate. You know, get a chance to to try out. You know, see if Jay Crowder can you know, knock down some threes and, you know, if he can improve his shot a little bit. And certainly there'll be, there, there are reasons that some teams might want to have extra games. Um, you know, if you've got young guys, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to decide who's going to make the roster. Um, you're trying to fill out that last spot. But I think in a lot of cases, a lot of teams would just prefer to have a smaller, um, a smaller preseason might not be as great for the owners who would like to get the, you know, the little bit of extra ticket revenue there. But I think that's minimal enough that if you bring up the idea of, you know, keeping these guys healthy, you know, giving these guys the rest. And like you said, stretching out the beginning of the season so that they don't start off on a back to back with the second game in Chicago. I mean, that would definitely, I, I think that would definitely fly and it would definitely be um, something that I think teams would be pretty willing to talk about. Yeah. You know, not ideal to, to start out that soon with, back-to-back games and and but I will say this and perception is reality in many cases especially the way that we follow the league today but it seemed to me and I want to get your take on it it seemed to me that this team spent a lot more time together working out or even we had stories about Jalen Brown working out with Jimmy Butler I didn't think that that was as commonplace and maybe that's my perception or where I started the conversation with from last night was, yeah, I think they need time to play together and gel and they need a lot. My concern was practice time. Once the season's underway, there's no more practice time. So I'm, that's why I asked less games or shorter period of time. But the truth is, is you don't get the benefit of relaxing the schedule unless it's a shorter period of time and resultingly less games. But let me ask you, do you think it's just a, uh, 
a product of the ever-changing media where we can literally report in the moment that has it maybe more recognized how much off-season work that the players do and maybe the time that they spend in Boston versus in the past where everything went dormant for about three months? Well, I mean, I think that's definitely part of it. I mean, obviously, we're all just dying for NBA news. You know, Twitter gets so dead, and everybody just wants to to talk about literally anything interesting that they can possibly find. Um, I do think that's part of it. And obviously, I also think that there are advances in, you know, the way these guys train, um, you know, in in the things that they do, um, you know, on the court and then, you know, in in the weight room, um, you know, on the practice court. There's advances that way. Um, I'm, I'm not entirely certain how much more they play together. You know, I, I can't really speak to the other teams. Um, it does seem like this team really did come together pretty early. Um, and that speaks to – and start working out together. And that speaks to the guys on the team, Isaiah Thomas and, you know, Jay Crowder. These guys are all coming back together, uh, Avery Bradley. You know, they played together last year. Last year's team was really good. And I think they really enjoyed playing together. I think they enjoyed playing under Brad Stevens. And, uh, you know, I think – they definitely came together and worked together well. Um, I don't know if they came together before other teams, but it does seem plausible that they would because I think they all get along really well, and I think they enjoy the work they do on the court together. So um, definitely, there, there's definitely more coverage of it um, uh, just because I think everybody's so interested in it. Um, I'm not sure if it's more or less, uh, but it, but it's it's definitely there, and these guys definitely did get an early start. Yeah, it does seem like the Celtics chemistry is unique, and maybe that's just because we're front and center for it. But it does feel that way. I just put one little asterisk on it and say it'll feel that way until we're winning championships. And then the next thing you know, we're going to have our own Draymond Green behind-the-scenes story conflict with Brad Stevens. It's inevitable, right? Once you're on top, the the dirt starts flinging. And we're going to leave that one right there. I do want to put the preseason in the past and start looking ahead to the regular season. And specifically, let's talk a little bit about Kelly Olenek, who's not going to start with this club. The thing that I was expecting to happen, and now I don't know if it's happening just by virtue of injuries or if it's happening because it's what Brad Stevens truly wanted, but I expected Brad to basically roll out the starting lineup from last year with Sullinger out and Horford in. I felt like consistency mattered. It's a defensive lineup. They can win some games early by not messing with chemistry. Last year, the rotations were a mess, and they started out 7-7, and that was an issue. So I expected it, but I wanted to ask you, did you did you think or did you expect Kelly Olenek to sneak his way into that starting lineup to start the year, or were you kind of in my camp on this? I think I was in your camp on it, in part because I think Stevens – it's not that he's that that he doesn't want to change things around. I think that he's cautious about doing it, not necessarily to the point of it being a fault, but he definitely is willing to kind of wait and see. I mean, you know, last year there were times, especially at the beginning of the year, where um, you know that the guys were getting minutes, and you were just kind of like, man, like, are, are we still trying this? And and I think he likes to give things a chance to to develop if they're going to be able to do that. Um, I thought it was really interesting in the preseason, you know, Jarebko was even talking at media day about how he would like to start. Um, and, you know, that really presents some interesting options. You know, he, he can kind of do what Olenek can do, you know, as far as, as far as being a shooter and stretching the floor and 
you know, allowing Al Horford to play a little bit more inside um, and kind of working the ball inside out that way. So there definitely are options for Stevens if he decides that he wants to go with that stretchy, um, you know, swing the ball around the perimeter kind of, you know, four out kind of uh, strategy. But I do think um, I, I do agree with you that I think it'll be basically um, Horford in, in exchange for Sullinger, which is just such an unbelievable upgrade. But it does it, the defense is really there. Um, and it also allows Amir to kind of play that, uh, around the basket where he, he does that Tyson Chandler thing where he just tries to knock the ball out, you know, for offensive rebounds. He just basically swats at it, um, on the offensive glass and, and that allows Horford to play, you know, a little bit more on the perimeter. So it, the options are pretty limitless, um, for Stevens this season, but I do agree. I think he's going to. He's going to, like you said, for continuity uh, and just to kind of give that lineup a chance to work together. I do think that's going to be kind of what he goes with, at, at least for the first few games of the season. Yeah, he can really throw a lot of different looks. And the, and you made a really nice correlation with Jarebko and Olenek. I mean, it only goes so far, but in terms of tinkering with rotations and lineups, Jarebko, Jarebko brings enough of what Olenek brings to the table that Stevens can kind of see how with some of the younger players getting better, new addition like Jalen Brown and also um, Al Horford, how that might work. Jarebko made a case. I don't blame him for saying I'd like to be in the starting lineup. He certainly made a case in the postseason, one of the better players in that first-round series against Atlanta. But ultimately, let me ask you this question, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll leave the Olenek conversation behind for a while and head to a quick break. Do you think – I remember talking when Olenek's injury first came out. They were saying it was likely he was eventually going to have to have surgery regardless. I know Kelly, and this is good, a matter of national pride. I'm not trying to, you know, throw him ridiculous <laughs> hot take balls at, at Kelly Olinick with this, but I feel like maybe stalling and trying to be available to play through it so that he could, or, or work through it so he could play for the Canadian team would have ultimately led him to having to have surgery in the middle of this season and probably should have bitten the bullet and done the surgery sooner. Then he would have been able to get some off-season work in right before preseason and be ready for day one. I mean, do you have a criticism for it for him on that, or do you kind of not blame him for taking his time and, and evaluating it and trying to be ready to support his country's uh, team in Olympic basketball? I think it's tough to, to to really be upset with him about it. I mean, you know, these these opportunities you know, especially for us, you know, we're just, we're just lay people. Like we, we're never going to play an Olympic sport. So if, if, you know, if the opportunity is there or, you know, if he's hoping to, to do Hey, hold on. Like I have that, to interrupt you. Just speak for yourself. If foosball gets onto the Olympic sports, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, in that case, congrats <laughs> on your, uh, on your future Olympic appearance, but um, I can play it when I'm 60. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but uh, foosball accepted, uh, we probably won't be Olympians at any point. And, uh, you know, to to kind of sit, like say, OK, well, this is how he should have treated, you know, his health. I mean, you can say you can say that there might have been better ways for him to handle it. But I think to really blame him and really say, like, oh, like he, he did a, he did a bad thing, you know, for the Celtics. I think that's a little bit that that might be a little bit short sighted just because you know, it, it is his body, you know, it's, it's his kind of decision with his health there. And especially in a situation where the Celtics have, you know, a lot of depth, they kind of had options. Um, and, and obviously he's going to really help when he comes back, but they did have some options, you know, especially for the beginning of the season. Um, this isn't, I don't think it's necessarily something that should be looked at 
um, you know, as like a, a like a big flaw, like a big bad decision. Like he 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 kind of he's going to have to deal with what he decided to you know not do and and his timing. But you know, ultimately, it's probably not going to hurt the Celtics too much. He'll be back relatively soon into the season, and we'll get a good look at it. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah, hindsight is, had he known for certain he wasn't going to be able to play for the Canadian team, he probably would have Mm -hmm. done it, but he wasn't certain about that, and speaking from professional and personal experience, surgery, even in minor ones, don't always go perfectly, and it is a major decision, so I agree, I don't blame him. I wouldn't like I wouldn't you know I wouldn't criticize him too heavily but in hindsight for certain you got to think he would have said ah I'm probably going to have this surgery sooner and then I'll definitely be ready and and the chances of me not playing in the Canadian uh playing for the Canadian team and then not starting the season is, is not what I want to deal with so hey we're going to take a quick break we're going to be right back with Tom Wester home of masslive.com stay with us after a quick word from our sponsor audible.com all right, we're back with Tom Westerholm from MassLive.com. We just wrapped up for the most part the preseason. Took a look at took a look at getting set up for the season. So now there's Sands Olenek and Marcus Smart. Let's go into Terry Rozier, some of the young guys, and then ultimately, since no cuts have been made, no trades have been made, you and I can maybe milk a little bit more out of who's the final cut conversation, although <laughs> I'm kind of done with it, so I certainly wasn't going to lead with it, but I would be, we, I'd be making a mistake if we didn't close out the show without at least getting your thoughts on it. So let's start with Rozier, because here's, we saw signs. We saw, and I think you actually posted it in uh, one of your top tens, the good and the bad and, uh, you know, the ugly. But um, you haven't said the ugly (laughs) yet, but that's because it's early. You're going to have to throw some ugly in there. Um, I would say he looked good in the postseason. He looked great in the summer league. But he really brings something that we have heard over and over and over that this team has needed for like the last 18 months, and that's shooting. And when people ask the question, can he replace Evan Turner, I immediately think, well, he's not going to do everything Evan Turner did, and we're not 100% certain what Terry is going to do in clutch moments. But one thing he's doing that Evan Turner did not do, and one thing that he can do that many players on the team can't do, is apparently this kid can shoot. Because from beyond the arc since Summer League, I think he's been on fire, and he has an amazing. He's exuding an enormous amount of confidence on the floor. He absolutely is, and as um, as any shooter will tell you, confidence is everything when it comes to shooting. And I think the most impressive thing. It's interesting because I think the most impressive thing isn't actually his shooting, because um, he's been amazing. But everybody has hot streaks, and I think. He's on a hot streak. Um, I feel pretty safe in saying that he's not going to hit 60% of his three-pointers for his entire career. But he <laughs> has been... Yeah, you might want to temper I, it down to 35 and we'd still be happy. You know, something reasonable, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, but I, think the, uh, I, I think the thing that's been most impressive is the way that he's been slowing the game down around him. You know, he gets into the paint and he can take his time. He, you know, he hasn't been passing that much. Honestly, he's been shooting a lot. But he's making them because he's taking his time. And, and when he gets to, you know, that mid-range area, he's able to knock down that shot. Um, he's able to kind of get to that mid-range area and then put on a second burst of speed and get, that, and get the ball on the backboard. And he's been really good at getting it, you know, in off the glass. And that's really important for a guy his size, too. So, you know, like you said, he's not going to be 
he's not going to do everything that Evan Turner did. He's not going to replace everything that Turner did, but he's going to replace a lot of it. And he's going to be better at some things. You know, he's going to be a much better, I think he's going to be a much better three point shooter. Um, he's, you know, he's doing the thing that Turner did where he creates his own shot, um, where he gets to the spots that he wants to get to. Um, and he can distribute the ball as well. Um, like, you know, he's, he's not doing it as much, um, you know, as, as, you know, smart, uh, obviously. Um, but he's, he's doing it really well when he does. And I think, that's going to be the biggest key is they needed the guy who can create his own shot. He's proving he can do that. He's so quick. He's really athletic. And I think, um, you know, maybe he won't be able to be as, you know, he definitely won't be able to be as versatile defensively as Turner, but man, he can do a lot of things. Um, and he's going to make, uh, he's going to make it a little bit crowded in that backcourt because that, that kid, that kid really needs minutes for this team. Yeah, he's not the Swiss Army knife that Evan Turner was by any stretch of the imagination. But really, even though Evan Turner did all these different things and, and really entertained the locker room and the media for sure as well, great, <laughs> just a great guy. But we're take gonna the, miss his quotes. Right, you, we're gonna certainly miss his quotes. It, it's gonna be a void that Jalen Brown's not gonna fill the void. Jalen will give you good quotes, but <laughs> you know he's his disposition is is nothing like Evan Turner's. I will say this right. though, I feel like the the thing that the team needed that gave Evan Turner the opportunity was somebody to stabilize the second unit and give it some cohesion. And no matter how that happens or whether that whether some of the things that he brought to the court um you know being it well being able to play the 3, maybe the 4 and the 2, multiple positions, they'll get a little of that from Rozier, they'll get a little of it from Jalen Brown, they'll get, they'll actually get some flexibility out of just having everybody healthy. Jarebko does that. But what they really need is somebody who can direct the offense, get everybody to kind of be calm and stabilize the direction. One thing I noticed in the preseason, it really seemed to me, John and I talked about it on Monday's show, seemed to me that transitioning and the substitution patterns from the first unit to the second unit was really, really clunky. And I liked what they did in the final preseason game where Smart came in into that chaos lineup, and he was really, for all intents and purposes, a three. I liked the way they did that. Then Rozier comes in. Eventually Bradley goes out, and Smart is at the two and playing the role of Bradley in many respects with Rozier playing the role of Isaiah Thomas. What do you think about those substitution patterns? Do you kind of agree, like, when Smart just comes in for Bradley that it seems a little clunkier in terms of the flow of the offense? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I would also say that, obviously, you know, it is preseason, so, you know, these guys are not – I mean, no. hopefully in very few regular season games – um, Al Horford is going to get, you know, 16 minutes, you know, these are, th- these are very preseason rotations, um, that they're kind of messing with and, and they're definitely trying out lineups that they probably won't try out during the regular season just because they can, because the games don't matter. Um, but I definitely, I, I, I think I agree with you that, um, bringing in smart for Bradley is problematic in, you know, just in doing that right away. Um, in, in doing one for the other in part, obviously because of the shooting, you know, Bradley's been hitting a lot of his shots. Um, Smart does not hit uh, – well, he doesn't hit three-pointers. I've actually been kind of impressed with the way that he's been able to um, kind of find his mid-range shot in the preseason. But the uh, but but definitely, you know, especially from a floor spacing perspective, it, it really helps to have Bradley and Smart in at the same time. Um, you know, obviously we've talked quite a bit, you know, just in Celtics media, Celtics Twitter, Celtics fans, everybody – Everybody's talked quite a bit about the chaos lineup, and 
it is, it is going to be a lot of fun. But I think you're right that it's going to do a really good job, um, not just in playing small ball and, you know, getting the other team off balance, but also in kind of smoothing those lineups over and um, just kind of making that transition from the first to the second unit um, a lot better um, because both are going to be pretty, pretty potent. Both lineups, you know, both, both units are going to be pretty effective. So I do think that, you know, finding good ways to transition between the two is going to be important. And that chaos lineup is going to be one of them. Yeah. And I almost think it makes so much sense to stagger substitution patterns so that Isaiah Thomas or Al Horford are on the floor. I know that's a tough thing conceptually because they really should be able to run the pick and roll precisely and really take opponents out. I think that's something that you're going to have to do for the first, you know, six, seven minutes of the first quarter and end the game on it. But for the rest of the time, uh, you really want to see them, I think, staggered in their time on the court because we haven't talked a lot about Al Horford in the preseason just because it's it's just enormous praise what he's done in his time on the court. Yeah. I mean, the rebounding is back. It's just disgusting what what he's done. It's also disgusting because I was watching NBA or no, uh, the game was on ESPN last night, and afterwards, uh, or at halftime, I can't remember. We were I was watching, and Chauncey Billups was talking, and they were actually kind of downgrading the impact that they thought Al Horford would have on the Celtics, their success and their record. And I just thought, based on what I've seen so far, that's ridiculous. I I predicted that him and having the team healthy and a set rotation to start the year would get him another seven wins. I do sound. Maybe a little homeristic when I say 55, but I really, other than major injuries, like substantial ones to Horford or Isaiah, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility because of how much Al Horford just makes everybody else better around him. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, outside of major injuries, it's not just Isaiah Thomas and Al Horford. Um, You know, obviously it's Crowder. Um, You know, I think extended, you know, extended time missed for for Smart would hurt them. Um, Bradley, obviously. Um, so definitely it's going to come down to health. But I do think, you know, that 55-56 window, it's not quite where I would put them, but I do think it's within reason um, for sure. Because, like you said, uh, you, you know, maybe the national guys, maybe the guys who, you know, don't, aren't as locked in with the team as, as we are, um, you know, they, they might not – they might look at Horford and say, oh, okay, well, you know, he's a, he's a good player. And they would look at the Celtics and think, oh, okay, that's a good team. But it's when you really look at the, the nitty-gritties, the, you know, the details – that's when you really start to see what Horford is going to do for this team. Like you said, it's nothing but praise, and it's been nothing but praise ever since they agreed to a deal with him. We, we started looking at it the next day, and we were like, wow, Horford is just perfect for this team. He's, he can shoot the ball. He can play inside. He can defend the rim. He can defend the paint. You know, he, he, just, he does all of these things that the Celtics really needed. And, 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 and then he came in and he did all of these things that the Celtics really needed. So it was really this seamless transition from, oh, here's what we think Al Horford is going to do directly into, oh, here's what Al Horford is doing. So it, it almost is kind of like a non-story because we've been talking about it since, what was it, July 3 that he signed or that he agreed to sign. So it is, uh, it is going to be something they're, they're going to win more games. Um, even, if, even if they don't win more games, they're going to be a much better team. Um, and I think that's going to be really important. I think 538 came out today and said that they expect them to win like 47, but be third in the East. And I thought that was, I thought that was too low, but on the other hand, you know, I, I think that they can, I think that no matter how many games they win this season, they're much, much better this year because of having Al Horford. And that absolutely matters. Yeah. It, it's funny because you're right. 
it's so obvious what an impact he has on the game and the team when he's on the floor. It's like, what are you going to talk about that people can't see with their very own eyes? It's not a point of debate. And it will be once we start seeing them match up against different teams. That's one of my knocks on preseason. We would just watch them play against the same players throughout the season. What makes it fun is debating whether or not he's going to struggle against, you know, this lineup or that lineup and how, how, how they did or didn't succeed in game planning against difficult matchup. Like I can't wait for them to play Milwaukee. That was always an interesting mm. matchup last season. And, you know, Jonas, uh, Ante DeCampo, did I do it? I did it. And he, I think you're close. I was close. <laughs> I'm not quite Mike Gorman in my ability to just rattle that off. I, I probably, if I knew I was going to mention Giannis, I probably should have practiced a few times, you know. But, <laughs> but either way, that is, you know, him playing the the point forward, you know, like what we all wished Anton Walker could be, type of thing. Right. It's so intriguing, and the way that they matched up. Against the Celtics, they they really gave him a run. I think I think they stole a win from him too. I can't remember. I'll have to go back. I remember being at a game against Milwaukee last season, but I, I feel like the Celtics won the f- second one and maybe not the first one. But regardless, those are some matchups that make sort of that debate entertaining with Al Horford. But we have to get into the season for that to begin. So let's talk about the end of the lineup, the end of the bench, um, and new acquisitions, young players. So. Start with Jalen Brown. He went two for four in the final game from beyond the arc. I don't think we can expect him to shoot anywhere near 50%. There was a lot of criticism about the selection of Jalen Brown because of his shooting and because of the knock on his shooting. And I don't think he's necessarily become, you know, where he's addressed that. It does look like his form is pretty smooth, though. It looks like his release is good. I think it's more more about reps. And even in the preseason and especially, again, I'll go to the very last game because he got so many minutes. Seemed like he was firing up shots that I don't expect him to actually take during the regular season. It was more like, why don't you just go take some, really get you know a volume of, of field goal attempts up, see if you can work out some kinks, gain some confidence. And, uh, you know, th- he's going to make a lot of rookie mistakes. He made some against Carmelo Anthony defensively. Yeah. Definitely there were some miscues in uh, trying to create offense through passing in the final game. But but his athleticism is really just so much fun to watch, Tom. It definitely is. And, I mean, it's, it's going to become a thing, um, you know, during the season where if you're not watching, I think if, uh, you know, people are going to – if you're just kind of, you know, following along on Twitter and not watching the game, all of a sudden you're going to see a bunch of people tweet, Jalen, in all capital letters. And that's going to be, uh, that's going to be pretty fun because I think, you're, you know, a few minutes after that you're going to know that you've got a pretty impressive vine coming up. Um, but he's – like you said, his shot isn't broken. Um, it's not good, though. And I think we saw that in that last game. I know he would hit two of his four, but one of them was kind of – it wasn't a desperation heave, but it, it was a shot that he had to take at the end of the first half. Um, and the other one was a good shot. But also we saw the Knicks dare him to shoot two three-pointers that he uh, broke pretty badly. You know what um, I think that, his issue is? That, I think he should that? be shooting a step to a step and a half behind the line. He always hits it right off the back part of the rim. when It, it almost always does this crazy bounce out off the back of the rim. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about that shot at the end of the second half, he was probably two steps behind the arc. And I think he should be parked out a step, step and a half behind it. And I think he might see some of them fall. It's almost like his shot's too strong. 
That's not out of the question. It's not something that I've noticed, but it's not something that I was looking for. I could, I can definitely see that. Um, he's, you know, he's a strong kid. <laughs> he's a, he's a, I mean, he's, like you were talking about his athleticism, and he's really, he's going to be able to show that off this season, like for sure. Uh, his rebounding is, I think, is going to be really good um, during, especially during summer league. We saw him grab rebounds bring the ball up the floor himself. His handle is nice. Um, he, had a, he had a crossover a couple of games ago. I don't remember who it was against, but it was just really filthy, you know, right to left, just super, super quick. And, and his, his body moved perfectly with it. He's, he's going to need to learn how to finish. He's going to need to learn how to, sh- you know, at least shoot threes to a degree that people are going to have to come out and cover him because then he can use obviously the closeout to blow by people. Uh, he, he's a really smart kid. I think, Today or one of the days recently, he he was talking about how uh, how teams won't want to give up the open three, even if they know that the guy isn't like a you know perfect three point shooter. I think, and which again, good, he's aware that that is the 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 place that people want to get to, and that really speaks to his to you know how smart he is. Um, but you know, he he was saying that people don't like to leave uh, shooters open, whether they're good shooters or not, because it's three points and if it goes in that's you know a big swing in that direction so uh, he's he's definitely smart when it comes to basketball and I think he's going to learn how to use things to his advantage that's going to be really great uh it is going to come down to somewhat his ceiling is going to come to his three-point shooting at some point or another and that's you know hopefully he improves I think there's a very good chance he could Uh, but you know in his in his rookie season for sure it's going to be tough going for him uh from behind the arc all right, so to wrap it up, uh, it's Friday morning. Everybody has got a few more days to wait out a trade or some sort of a move, but it's going to come right down to the deadline unless unless the roster unless there is some sort of a deal that opens up room on the roster. You can rest assured, Danny is not going to pull the trigger till the very last minute. He's somebody who knows how to squeeze value out of every last minute of every last contract, and that's the way it's going to be here unless he can find a a more amenable resolve to the roster crunch ahead of time. So Friday morning, don't know what it's going to be, but let's just pretend it goes down to the wire. I predicted on Monday that I actually thought there was a good chance that Gerald Green could be the cut just because it's a minimum deal um, maybe they can bring somebody back. Marcus Smart's injury actually, I think, hurts the likelihood of that to some extent. But most people believe that it's going to come down to Hunter or Young. There's really no way around it. Um, I'm not going to break it down any further, what we've seen from Young and Hunter. But ultimately, I think the edge comes down to Young is a year younger than Hunter. He's got a more NBA uh, physical body, and he finally showed some fight. I'm sure the Celtics are a little leery that it's only, you know, because of the situation and it may not be consistent, but it's hard to say. Then on Hunter's side, all of a sudden this kid is shooting with confidence and he became, and I think, maybe it was the fourth game of the preseason, might have been the third, where all of a, all of a sudden he looked like a scorer and not just a shooter who can't shoot. So where, where do you think the axe falls? for roster cuts. We kind of assume Bentle's headed to Maine. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I want to, real quick, I want to address Gerald Green. I don't think that, there were a couple of other teams that were interested in Gerald Green, and I think 
I think it would be tough to cut him. Um, it probably wouldn't have like hugely damaging effects with an agent or anything like that. But it's just kind of you know from like good practices sort of thing. I think you, you, you you're know, saying you go out and you find that guy and you you're calling yeah, that basically form like that. You know, okay, that makes sense. I could buy yeah, I, I would say. Um, so anyway, I, I I agree that it's you know it's down to Hunter and Young, and I think. Um, and, and I say this as somebody who has interviewed Hunter multiple times. I really, really, really like the kid. He's super, super nice. Um, I do think that he would be the one to go between him and James Young. Um, Young, like you were saying, he's really starting to show some fight. And I, I do think that to a certain extent, it's been tough for him with the minutes that he's been getting and with the leash that he's had. I don't think that he's necessarily known exactly what he's free to do and what he's free to not do. Um, and I think that's, I think that's been really tough for him. That's one of the very small areas in which I think that Stevens probably could have done a little bit better of a job developmentally is just kind of giving him a better idea of where he could be. And that's, you know, it's just a guess, but, uh, you know, that's the, real quick, Tom, this, that's supported by the fact that his performance with the red claws has always been stellar. He's shot the lights out. He's yeah. had the confidence at that level, but. That would speak volumes. Jordan Mickey struggled the same way when he came up to the parent club last year, sort of like not really sure what he's supposed to be doing on the court or maybe that bright lights, big city impact, whatever it was, the both mm-hmm. of them had suffered that to some degree at the same time in, in in Maine. They were killing it. And I don't think Hunter had quite the same success in Maine when he was sent down last season. He didn't. Actually, he shot really poorly um, in Maine, which is, which is interesting. I don't know how much it, how, how, how telling it actually is. And, and obviously with Mickey and young, it's always going to be easier when you're the man. Like if you, if you are the guy who's supposed to be going out there and shooting and scoring and, 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 you know, if you're supposed to have the super high usage rating, um, it's going to be a lot easier for you because you, you know, your role and your role is super easy to get into. It's when you have to start playing a role that it becomes a little bit more difficult. And, you know, maybe that's something that speaks to Hunter is the fact that when young wasn't the focal point he wasn't totally certain what he should be doing whereas hunter is able to kind of you know spot up in the corner he's able to you know hit a couple of he's able to hit a three from you know multiple steps back um i do think that to a certain extent that ability to shoot from deep like and not just not just hitting threes but being able to shoot threes from you know three or four feet behind the arc with confidence that's really going to be valuable in the next few years as people start to get accustomed to really defending the three-point line well, really putting strategies out there. You're going to start seeing guys who take multiple steps back and are still deadly. Those guys are really going to have a role. So I do think that that's, that's something to consider with Hunter. That being said, like you, know, like you were saying, Young is actually still younger than him, and that's kind of crazy. But just having that, you know, a little bit of potential still kind of untapped with him, that's really important. I think Hunter's defense has just been such a disaster, even in the preseason, even against, you know, second units. He, he just gets burned a lot. And even when, he, even when he gets a hand up, it seems like guys hit shots over him. I just don't think he's a very imposing defender. And I don't know, just given his athletic gifts, how he improves on that. And I think it's worth noting that being on the Celtics, and playing for Brad Stevens, defense is so important, especially at the wing position, especially on this team that contains the perimeter so well. So I think the decision, if it comes down to Hunter and Young, I think it's going to be Young. Um, but I do think that Hunter is going to have a place in this league somewhere. And I think that, you know, he might be one of those guys that you kind of look at in a few years and you say, okay, well, to be fair, 
the Celtics couldn't have really kept him around, but man, it might have been nice if they could have. Yeah, I I think that's absolutely the case, but it's a high likelihood scenario for the Celtics by virtue of the number of draft picks and how quickly they've risen back to the top and maybe yeah. they're going to be continuously a free agent destination. This won't be the first this this won't be the last. It will likely be the first of many very difficult decisions with young players that down the line they may have that Chauncey Billups kind of impact on the team where up oh, we add him and he got away, you know, or or a Joe Johnson scenario. We could run into that again, although um it'll be for better reasons than it happened to us during the Rick Patino era. Tom it's been awesome having you on for your first show. Literally could have taken this a couple of hours, but you know what? Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to bring you back sooner rather than later. Maybe we can, uh, you know, talk somewhere around Thanksgiving time and, and kind of look back and, and see how the first month of the season's been playing out. That sounds great, man. Thanks a lot for having me. It was a lot of fun. All right. Tom Westerholm, everybody from MassLive.com. Follow him on Twitter at Tom underscore NBA and how about that breakdown of Hunter and Young wasn't that phenomenal Tom is going to be a regular guest on this show I can absolutely 100% assure you of that have not had a chance to talk to Tom obviously interacted on Twitter and I read his stuff on MassLive.com but I have not had an opportunity to uh, ever have him on the show because I don't think Tom was around when we were doing this uh, before we took our, our good long four or five year break and if he was he was brand new on the scene so Really a pleasure to have him on. You're going to hear from him again. You can count on that. So that's going to do it for the show this week. The broadcast is going to be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as CLNSRadio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. I'm at CSL underscore Justin, my co-host at CSL underscore Duke, and our guest on the show today at Tom underscore nba a huge thanks for everybody to everybody for tuning in and you can help support our show by subscribing to celtic stuff live on itunes and stitcher don't forget we'd really love it if you gave us a rating and a review because your feedback's important we want to do a better job we want to know that you like what you're hearing and we want you to subscribe so that we can continue to push out good interviews and good analysis with john and i a reminder that today's show is being brought to you by audible com. They've got a great deal for all of you listeners, but most importantly, you would be supporting our show and the entire network. And I think I mentioned during the ad about Bob Ryan's book, Scribe. And just as a quick shout out to Bob, he was a rapid fire questions guest on Sunday's Celtics beat with our very own Larry H. Russell. So make sure you download that show on the CLNS radio app as well. Most importantly, a big thanks to the loyal CLNS radio audience who makes it all worthwhile. And for staff writer Eddie Santiago, program director Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, and my co-host, John Duke, I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.